Chapter Five of Policy and Passion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Policy and Passion by Rosa Campbell Prade. Chapter Five Mrs. Valancy's Home mrs valancy and mr longleat walked up the narrow path leading to the house and stepped on to the veranda which was wide and breezy and upon one side overlooked the river the wooden posts were festooned by trailing creeper through which the moonbeams shed quivering shadows upon the boards and without the shrubs of heliotrope and purple magnolia that bordered the grass plat made the night air heavy with perfume mrs valancy softly tried one of the venetian shutters then finding that it did not yield to her touch rang a little bell that hung against the wall presently a maid opened the french window and mrs valancy led the way into the drawing-room a pretty room encumbered with furniture unoccupied and dimly lighted by a shaded lamp which was placed upon a small table near the fireplace there was a door upon the opposite side of the apartment which was closed is your master at home asked mrs valancy i think ma'am that he is smoking in the dining-room was the reply mrs valancy motioned mr longleat to a seat opened the inner door and passed into the next room where she faced her husband he was an unprepossessing-looking man tall and rakish with a shambling gait and dissipated appearance yet with the indefinable stamp of gentility upon his features and clothes mr valancy's income was known to be almost nominal nevertheless he was always well dressed played high had loose cash drank expensive wines in no small quantity and though he kept but a small number of servants lived luxuriously what the deuce was all that tomfoolery about the ansons was his greeting to his wife and why didn't you come home when you first intended they wished me to remain and i did not suppose that my absence made any difference to you they nursed me and were kind to me you seem to forget edward that i am not strong and that i need consideration said mrs valancy and mr longleat in the next room remarked the defiant tone of her voice it would be strange if i forgot it you are always wanting a change and posing as an injured innocent your ill health is entirely owing to your abominable temper i think that it is time you came back though when you are at home you make yourself so deucedly unpleasant that i am glad to be rid of you i expected that you would meet me at kooya she said resentfully you might have known better i have not the money to travel about the country at your pleasure you have generally money to do what you like she retorted in a low tone take care what you say there is someone in the drawing-room whom have you got here now as i was alone mr longleat who travelled with me in the coach was kind enough to accompany me from the australasian said mrs valancy in a louder tone as she threw open the door behind her and longleat feeling somewhat uncomfortable rose and advanced towards the husband and wife 
"'How do you do?' said Mr. Valancy sulkily, shaking hands with his political foe. "'It's very hot this evening. The storm don't seem to have cleared the air much.' the thunder is still hovering about said mr longleat i think that i ought to be going across the water again i only wanted to see mrs valancy safe within doors it's getting late and i've had a long journey from kooralbyn you're down for the opening i suppose said valancy you'll find no end of fellows at the club have something before you go connie why the deuce don't you see that there's ice in the house i do not care about anything thank you replied mr longleat hastily nothing i beg i must really be off good-night good-night mrs valancy i'll let you out she said moving on before him she held the door open for him to pass through then closed it behind them both when they had reached the veranda she paused and timidly touched his arm you'll come again soon she said you see i want friends i'm nearly always at home in the afternoons come in a day or two before parliament opens yes i'll come said mr longleat forgetting under the influence of the moment a prudent resolve that he had made in the veranda connie called valancy from within good-bye she murmured waving her hand lightly then re-entered the dining-room where her husband had seated himself at the table give me a kiss he said i'm glad to see you home again i wish you'd look happier i've had cursed bad luck at cards to-night and i was annoyed because you never wrote to me from the ansons if i had known that longleat was in the next room i should not have spoken to you so angrily what does it matter it is nothing new she said without moving to grant him the embrace for which he had asked her apathy showed no trace of resentment he looked at her for a moment with an expression half ironical half despairing then sullenly drooped his head upon his breast presently he asked suddenly where is the brandy get me some if you please i would not take any more if i were you she replied coldly if you were me and had business matters to worry you you'd be glad enough to take something which would help you to forget them bring me something strong i'm tired i cannot drink this wash i suppose that i have my worries too she answered bitterly if i had yours i'd face them honestly i wouldn't drink champagne every evening and leave my butcher unpaid i wouldn't play at cards and smoke expensive cigars and talk big when i knew all the time that i could not meet the bills i'd ask my friends to back for me i would not be sot and stupefy myself till there wasn't an ounce of manliness left in me you're a bold woman to speak to me in this way said valancy what do you mean if you had been a true man you would never have asked brian fielding to lend you money she exclaimed recklessly who told you that what has he been saying it was money that he owed me explain yourself it was money borrowed said she incisively it is not the first time that you have turn circumstances to your advantage but i warned you to spare him i warned you not to goad me too far 
have you suddenly turned prude said valancy roused by her manner i've let you have your own way without asking questions but if i really believed that you cared for fielding i'd you'd borrow more money from him said she with bitter sarcasm you go too far said valancy lifting his sullen red eyes from the tablecloth take care how you irritate me i know you too well to give you credit for any sentimental weakness i have allowed you liberty because i knew that you were too selfish to abuse it i discovered long ago that you only married me because you thought i was rich how rightly you have been served if you had taken any pains to please me i should have been a different husband to you you have no heart even when the child died you did not fret a woman does not fret when her heart is broken said mrs valancy with the sound of suppressed tears in her voice you make me hard you teach me to be bad she was leaving the room but he detained her you have not got me the brandy she went out and presently returned with a decanter of spirit which she placed before him don't go yet i have something else to say to you why did you bring longleat here to-night i told you that we were travelling together in the coach seeing that i was alone he very kindly brought me home i could do nothing else than ask him in i detest that man exclaimed mr valancy savagely i would do him an ill turn if i could i owe him more than one they would have given me the chairmanship of committees if he had not been against me well his day is nearly over do you think so surely he will carry his loan bill i would lay any money that he does not the majority will oppose him mrs valancy shrugged her shoulders but said nothing forbes has resigned the police magistracy of gundaroo continued mr valancy and middleton has promised it to me if he comes into power it's a beastly hole you won't like going there gundaroo a new northern settlement was at that time the ultima thule of civilization in leichardt's land but the post was important and there was a considerable salary attached to it mrs valancy looked interested you would take it yes for a short time there seems no prospect of anything better and the screw is good and would help me to get rid of this load of debt middleton is not in power yet said mrs valancy quietly and left the room if i could only persuade longleat to send him there she said to herself as she stood looking at her pretty but haggard face in the toilet glass have i no heart oh brian you know that a word about connie valancy her father had been one of the first government residents in leichardt's land in the early days of the colony when emigration was principally confined to the more energetic members of the upper classes of english society when handsome cadets full of pluck and adventure became dare-devil pioneers eager to distinguish themselves by feats of horsemanship and reckless bravery when hardships were numerous and the joys of life scarce so that a pretty girl was worshipped as a goddess straight from olympus connie brayborn had been the belle of the district
Before she was seventeen, there was hardly an unmarried man in the colony who had not made her an offer. She was a terrible coquette, exacted admiration as her tribute, and thought it rather a feather in her cap to be styled a heartless flirt. At last came upon the scene one Brian Fielding, a tall, handsome squatter, well-born and travelled, with no money to speak of, but plenty of assurance, and with a fascinating manner that women found it difficult to resist. The two fell desperately in love with each other, and entered into an indefinite sort of engagement, of which the consummation was to be delayed, till Brian possessed a station of his own and a house in Sydney. But Connie's father was ambitious, and she, too, was vain and light of love, and had cherished lurking visions of life in England, of costly clothes, and unlimited admiration from higher quarters. Brian went back to his post of superintendent at an inland station which had an unpronounceable name and a mail once in three months and connie to whom flirting had acquired a new stimulus from the fact of its being a forbidden luxury was left unsupported in the midst of temptations to inconstancy and finally threw over her lover in favour of mr valancy who had aristocratic connections and the reputation of wealth there was a story of intercepted letters of treachery and compulsion but be that as it may connie brayborne married mr valancy in the leichardt's town church and went off with him for her honeymoon in england she soon found that her husband's riches were mythical and that her grand match resolved itself into poverty brag a taste for expensive luxuries without the means of gratifying it and doubtful treatment by her new relatives who flouted her and despised him she was at first passionately discontented then fell into a state of listless melancholy and finally became reckless and defiant after a year or two of bohemian existence in europe during which connie's knowledge of the evil side of humanity deepened considerably they returned to leichardt's land mr valancy was created a member of the legislative council and made it his aim to get into power but being of an aggressive and cantankerous disposition contrived to render himself so obnoxious to both political parties that the lucrative government appointment which he hoped to obtain always dangled temptingly just beyond his reach he would condescend to no secondary place and was loath to deprive himself of the opportunity of making disagreeable allusions in the house nothing less than the bait of a police magistracy and a good salary would have satisfied his pride and as his influence was small and his abusive attacks were merely pin-pricks the government in power always hesitated to buy him at his own price he kept up a good appearance though every one knew that he was steeped in debt and there were ugly rumours afloat as to the source of the ready money by means of which he staved off disgrace an unfortunate marriage may produce in a woman either a state of passive indifference or of emotional craving after some outward form of satisfaction in constance valancy's case flirtation seemed the only antidote to disappointment 
she had no high-souled yearnings to carry her beyond the influence of her passionate excitability she had begun life with the self-made compact that caresses and admiration were to be her portion and seeing that they were denied her from a legitimate quarter could not overcome a sense of ill-usage while in her heart there was always present a cankerous regret after brian fielding the one man she had truly loved her disposition held no truth compelling instincts to define the boundary between right and wrong and contact with an ignoble self-indulgent nature brought into force a tendency to deceit she lied to her husband justifying falsehood as a weapon against irritable vanity and unreasonable abuse so she fed her morbid longings upon the stimulant of coquetry and though she had not suffered actual shipwreck had more than once steered dangerously near the rocks shortly before the opening of this story brian fielding still fascinating and still poor reappeared in leichardt's town and renewed his acquaintance with mrs valancy he had met her at first with a simulated indifference which had roused her old passion and piqued her desire for conquest then he alternately sought and avoided her and finally had drifted into a sweet but dangerous friendship this state of things was broken by mr fielding's sudden departure for melbourne on a matter of business likely to result in a permanent appointment in that city the fact of his wife's former engagement was a secret to mr valancy otherwise it may be doubted whether base though he was he would have encouraged the intercourse connie had flirted scores of times since their marriage and he had profited by her love of admiration to borrow money from her adorers but to do him justice he did not doubt her fidelity he loved her after an unreasonable fashion at one time caressing at another upbraiding her and making her the confidant of his petty ambitions and knavish intrigues till any womanly delicacy that she might have possessed was blunted to cynical indifference a weary distaste for life fell upon her after brian's departure she panted for freedom and scorn of her husband became transformed to active hatred oh to be rid of the incubus she was reckless enough to have eloped with brian had he been willing to take her but there was no money on either side she could not ruin his prospects and there were times too when she felt that her influence was waning and almost doubted the sincerity of his devotion and now he was gone and though he had promised to write to her had sworn not to forget her the consolation of his presence had departed from her money troubles were weighing upon her she was beginning to feel the pressure of want creditors threatened she was wretched felt ill and was losing her beauty her overmastering desire now was to escape from the irritation of her husband's presence and to secure wealth and freedom from annoyance at this juncture she became intimate with the premier End of chapter five